In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, along with all the living creatures that inhabit this living planet. And then, as a grand finale, his opus magnum, God created the human race. He created them in his image, but in time, well, in time, the human race, which has the freedom to choose as God chooses, became a rebel race. But God is love. So he used his freedom to set in motion a plan designed to redeem and restore his image bearers without removing his image. God's plan began with a man, Abraham whose family would eventually become an entire nation. And God promised Abraham that through his descendants, God would eventually send a savior. He would address once and for all the source and the consequences of sin in the world. But when? Because centuries passed and kingdoms rose and kingdoms fell. Sin itself rolled through creation like a tsunami, polluting and corrupting everything it touched. Just when it seemed that nothing would ever change, that God's promise to Abraham would not be kept, everything changed. And when the set time had fully come, once God had everything and everyone in place, he sent his son. His son would be born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that God's image-bearing rebel race might be set free. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to
in Galilee to a young girl pledged by her parents to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of Abraham. And the young girl's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. But of course, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered, what is happening? Is this even happening? Am I dreaming? The angel smiled and said to her, Mary, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. The promise you and your people have longed to see fulfilled, it's being fulfilled through you. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus, and he will be the great one, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. But how can this be? Mary asked. How can I have a baby? Joseph and I aren't even well. The angel interrupted and said, it's all been arranged. Your son will be called the son of God for no word from God will ever fail you, Mary. No promise from God will ever go unkept, Mary. She fell to her knees and declared, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. When she looked up, the angel was gone. Everyone loves a good story, and story is like a, a universal language. Uh, I can travel uh, across seas to my friends in Mumbai, India, and not understand the language on either side, and through a little bit of movement and smile, we know that we're talking about the same good news. Story can be a universal language. You don't even have to have words to tell a story. In fact, your face tells a story every single day. You know there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those that when they walk into the room, you are glad they walked into the room. 
And then there is another kind of people that when they walk out of the room, you are glad they walked out of the room. And it's amazing how their face can tell a story. Story is universal language. And it's amazing to me that out of all the tools at his disposal, the creator God, who very first character trait that we find of God is his creativity. In the beginning, God creates. And through this creative genius that is the God of the cosmos, he chooses to share his love for us, not through a mathematical equation, not through geometry, not through a hidden medallion that he places somewhere and expects us to go find it. As a matter of fact, it's such a unique story because God is loving us versus expecting just us to love him back. He gives us the free choice. In the rest of mythology of other gods, in particular the Greek gods, they, they would suggest that you have to earn the hand of compassion of the gods. And yet, there's nothing you do to deserve it or earn it. It's given freely. This whole story didn't start on a starlit evening in Bethlehem. This story began before the stars were even formed. In fact, the book of Revelation says, before the foundations of the earth were formed, the Lamb of God was slain. So before there was even man, God knew that man on his own, no matter what kind of process he would go through, still needed a Savior. And God would show his love through the ups and downs, the mountains and the valleys, the incredible moments and the incredible defeats all throughout the Word of God. And it's not just a bunch of stories collected. 66 books of the Bible written by 40 different authors over the course of 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents. <gasps> and it's not just a bunch of stories whittled together. It's one main story. It all points back to Jesus. I mean, you can read about Noah's Ark, but really the whole purpose of the Ark is to show us there's only one true safety place, and that's in the hands of God. And God says those hands are nail-scarred. There is a moment where a Bible professor, Elijah, they're in a famine, and he's got all kinds of uh, Bible students in training with him. It's a little Bible school. And they're in a famine, and so one of the well-meaning college students runs out into the forest and picks up some stuff for the stew because it's a famine. So all they got is like hot water and one of Elijah's socks, you know, for salt. And they're cooking up the stew, and little does he know that the gourds that he brings back are unbelievably poisonous. And the chef takes them. I mean, they're in a famine. You ought to think twice about this stuff. They chop the thing up, they throw it in the stew, they serve it to everybody at the Bible college, and all of a sudden they start choking and gagging, and somebody yells, O-M-O-G, which is, oh man of God, O-M-O-G. And they say, there's death, there's death in the pot. And instead of straining the bitterness out, instead of straining the death out, instead of Throwing the stew away, Elijah comes and he pours flour into the pot. And it's what was added into the pot that changed everything. It wasn't what you take out. And that story isn't about soup. 
That story is about Jesus. He's the bread of life. He is, he is the giver of life. When we add it, it's not about what we could ever take out. It's about what he adds into our life. David, an incredible king, but he's just a shadow of the one true king that would come. All throughout the Bible, one story, God showing his love. And we get to Christmas, and this is such a peculiar story about a young girl who's still in high school, 14, 15 years old, Max. And Mary gets visited by an angel, not in the middle of uh, the mall where everybody could see it. This is all behind the scenes. She has washed her face. She has got her sweatpants on. She is ready to get in bed after she jots down a couple moments in her diary. Oh, Joey was so sweet today. We went and had an ice cream. <laughs> XXO, hug, hug, kiss, kiss. Hug, 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 kiss, kiss, kiss. And just as she goes to turn out the lamp, whew, the angel shows up, gives her some unbelievable right-hand turn news. And it's in this story, and we have to be careful because when it comes to Christmas time, familiarity can breed invisibility. We can get so familiar with the Christmas story that we can actually kind of skip over some very important pieces for our life 2,000 years later. In fact, we've already heard one of the most terrifying, one of the most scary, the scary, one of the scariest scriptures in all of the New Testament. And the angel tells her all of these things. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 2 that then the angel left her. I mean, the angel gave her news that is going to radically change every relationship she'll ever come in contact with ever again. If I'm Mary, I'm saying, wow, thank you. I am going to ponder these things in my heart. I am going to jot these things down, the names that he's going to have. But can you just hang on before you leave? Can, can you go to the other room with me? Because my dad's in there eating a sandwich, and he needs to see you. Because when I say I'm pregnant from the Holy Spirit, he's going to choke on that sandwich. But the angel left. And as real as God is and as real as God's word is to us, there are times where we can feel very, very alone in our walk. I wonder what it was like to sit by herself with Joseph and try to explain. And Joseph's navigating all this tension and emotions. We know he had the tension because he loved her and he wanted to honor God. He didn't want to embarrass her. And just like throw it out for everybody to know. Didn't want to post it on social media, so he was going to quietly divorce her, walk away, and start over. Thank God that another angel came to Joseph while he was dreaming and said, hey, this is real, this is true. And Joseph had what he needed to follow through. But Mary was by herself, and that Mary was by herself walking through the locker room to chemistry class with a belly bump. People talking behind her back parents struggling to wonder if this is really the truth or not and you know Mary dealt with something that's one of the hardest things in fact it was the first bad thing in the Bible the very first bad thing so you might ask the question what was the first bad thing in the word well one of the first bad things was sin when Adam and Eve sinned it wasn't the act they committed it was the authority they rejected that's what sin is everybody Sin isn't where you, you do something wrong and it's bad and it, that's a level 
you know, that's a class A sin and that's a class C sin and that, that is a high third degree sin. Sin is not about the act you commit, it's about the authority you reject. God wants to be the final authority in our lives. And when we say, I want to be the a final authority in my life, that's sin. And that's what separates us from God. And as bad as that is, it's not the first bad thing in the Bible. After God creates the heavens and the earth and the fish and the sea and the birds in the air and the stars in the sky, he creates man. And then later he says, it's bad for man to be alone. So what was the first bad thing in the word? It wasn't sin. It was loneliness. And as crazy as Christmas can be, and we can even be surrounded by family at Christmas, dysfunction and all, the truth is there's some really, really lonely people. And it tends to be that this is the season where we get to give and we get a smile, but on the inside, we're still lonely. You don't have to be by yourself and isolated to be lonely. Loneliness comes from an emotion inside that your expectations and your hopes of social interaction with other people doesn't meet the reality. And that space creates loneliness. And I want you to know that the reason Jesus came, the way he came, was so you could know you never have to be truly alone, ever. As a matter of fact, the angel said, Jesus is going to come, and his name means Savior, but you're going to give him several other names. So the question that I would ask you today is, are you lonely? Are you dealing with something that you wish you could talk to somebody about, but it just feels like you can't? The Bible said one of the nicknames of Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But maybe that's not it. Maybe you're looking for guidance. You need help. What do I do? Where do I go? I, I, I need to talk this through with someone. 700 years before Jesus would let out his first cry, completely divine and completely human, the the prophet Isaiah would say another nickname would be wonderful counselor where he'll listen and he'll help you unpack you never have to be alone this is a crazy busy season and maybe you're tired and you need some strength Isaiah said here's another nickname mighty God we love to be mighty on ourselves in ourselves in our own strength but there's an end to that isn't it you can be only so mighty for so long. He is your mighty God. It's one of his nicknames. You can take it to the bank. Maybe in the middle of this season, there's some family stuff. And you're trying to figure out where you fit into stuff because of maybe marital strain or relational, emotional things, um, identity stuff. And maybe you're, you're looking for family stability or real identity. Who, who, who? Am I in, in all this? And many times we try, to, we try to show our identity by the gifts we give and the gifts we get. And we can just get wrapped up in all that. One of the nicknames of God, one of the nicknames of Jesus is Everlasting Father. So if he's your father, that means you have a last name that's not even your own last name. That's where you really get your identity is in who he is. If the Lord is my shepherd, I'm a sheep. I get that identity from him. If the Lord is my father, it means I'm a son or you're a, a daughter if you invite him to be your everlasting father. Maybe you're looking for safety and some rest because things have been weary. 
The Bible says another nickname is Prince of Peace. In fact, the Bible says that, that you can have peace that passes understanding. I don't know if you've ever watched NASCAR. I don't know why you would ever watch NASCAR. I'm kidding. I just, um, I, it's, it's so fun to me to just, feels like a fight with my wife, <laughs> you know, just around and around we go. Same thing, different story, different car. Anyway, let me give you an example on why peace passes understanding. Do you know that understanding is a car that we love to brand? We love to put all our marketing in. We love to root for. We eat the popcorn and we, we go, go that car, that number car of understanding. And we like to put that out and we put, all, we put all our chips on that car because we want understanding to win. We are addicted to understanding. And so when understanding blows a tire, when understanding uh, blows a gasket, when understanding gets ran into the, the wall, all of a sudden we say, where's God in all this? But see, you were never meant to be leading. Your rally car ought not be understanding. In fact, Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on the understanding car. So peace, here's what peace is. Peace, when you put it into gear, peace can pass understanding and you can put your you can put your focus and you can put your hope in the peace that is not just a philosophy peace is a person the prince of peace mary was left alone that night by the angel but she really wasn't alone she had emmanuel god with her And just as the angel had said, a baby began to grow in Mary's womb. As she was both amazed and terrified, who would believe her story? So as the time for the birth of the baby drew near, the Roman emperor decided to conduct a census of the entire Roman world. Everyone was required to return to their birthplace to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, then to Bethlehem, because he belonged to the house and line of David, and he took Mary with him. But when they arrived in Bethlehem, all the inns and the guest houses were full. So Joseph found a dry stable and made Mary as comfortable as possible. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloth, and she placed him I get a lot of comfort out of this story. Um, God had 700 years since the prophecy said that a virgin would conceive and give birth. And uh, even, even God didn't make a reservation. I, I, I've reminded my wife of that when she has asked me why I didn't do what she asked me to do three weeks ago. And I said, I'm just trying to be like Joseph, okay? You know, Mary didn't complain about Joseph. It's kind of a joke. Joseph did not use his Marriott Bonvoy points to book the local Marriott. I wonder what he had to do to explain to Mary when he would walk back to the donkey after tying it up to the post and getting a no after a no after a no from the inns and the guest houses. 
So sure enough, he has to find a dry stable. And you know, here's, here's a question that you may want to ask yourself in this whole story. And that is this, why a manger? Why a manger? Um, the king of heaven being born. Why a slobbery, dirty, smelly mess? Caked with snot and slobber from animals eating in it and out of it. Chewing the cud, spitting it up, chewing it again. A place where they would eat and they would use the restroom all at the same time. And this is where the son of the living God is born. Why, why such a dirty place? Maybe because he was so willing to get into the mess. Because God in heaven would be hard for us to grasp. But God taking a low place people then and the people now, we understand what it's like to live in a mess. We understand what it's like to have some mess that we got to walk around in. But it's beyond that. In fact, the, the answer is to the story. It's not a big prophetic thing. It's not some secret answer to why a manger. Well, because the, 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 you know, the Bible says that manger and this and that. No, it's, it's really, truly just because in Luke 2 it says there was no more room. It was all they had. It was the last resort. Even the dirtiest hotel wasn't available anymore. There was no more room. Why was there no more room? Well, because there was no halo hanging around Melly's, Melly's, Mary's belly. There was no divine sign. Even though the, the wise men followed a star later on, there was no neon sign pointing to Mary saying, Son of God, right here, blink, blink. It was very inconspicuous. Do you realize what kind of entrepreneurial opportunity that innkeeper missed by not making room for the Messiah? Do you know how rich he could have been 50 years later selling T-shirts and bumper stickers? Messiah born here at the White Glove Inn in Bethlehem. Give a little extra and you can stay in room 316. <laughs> Come see this. Come see the room. Yeah, he missed his opportunity, didn't he? But there was no more room because they didn't, they weren't paying attention. There's nothing really to pay attention to. He came like that on purpose. But what's the lesson for us in this? What's the lesson? Friends, I want you to hear. I want you to hear your friend. You and I, we live overcrowded lives. And my concern for myself and my family that can so easily drift, your pastor can drift to be so overcrowded that sometimes it's hard to make room for Jesus. And with the busyness of this season, we say, keep Christ in Christmas, and we say, it not that cute, isn't that quaint? But we're running from one place to the next, and it's not about putting Christ in a Christmas card. And it's not about having a quick prayer over the meal. All those things are sweet. It's really about, will you make room in your heart? Is there vacancy enough in your heart and in your calendar and in your time and in your treasure and in your talent and in your thoughts where 
Is God ever invited into the boardroom? Is he ever invited into the decision? Is he ever invited into the marital strain? Is he invited into the hurt? Many times we just fill ourselves up with so much more. We overcrowd ourselves and there's no room for Jesus. Jesus said it himself in Mark chapter 4. People can be overwhelmed with worries about all the things. Does this not sound like Christmas? Worry about all the things they have to do and all the things they want to get. Distress strangles what they heard and nothing comes of it. That's why people can go to church week in and week out and they walk out and their life remains unchanged because they're strangled by all the other stuff in life. So, man, how do you, how do you fix that? It's not about getting out a, a dust buster. It's, it's not about uh, getting your ducks in a row. It's not about what you could ever do, but it does remain a question tonight. How do I make room for Jesus? How do I make room? Simple. In fact, such a simple message today, but the story, as peculiar as it is, it's so simple, anybody can understand it. That's the brilliance of God. Here's here's how we make room. Invite him. You invite him. You invite him to show up. And the truth is, if he shows up at at your house, it's not about you showing up to his house. He shows up to yours. This is what Jesus says to the churches in the book of Revelation. And it can also apply to you. He says, listen, I'm standing and knocking at your door. You don't have to go stand and knock at his door. And he's going to decide, well, he opens the peephole. Should I let you in or not? Because I know what you did last Christmas. (laughs) I know that thing you did. I'm not going to say it out loud because I'm Jesus. No, he stands at your door and he knocks at your door. So he gets up off the throne and he comes to you just like he left heaven to come to earth. He approaches your heart. You don't approach his. He stands and he knocks. He doesn't bust down the door, although he could. He is mighty like that. He knocks. He's asking you, would you open the door? And here's the rest of the story. If you hear my voice and you open the door, so you, you got to not just hear, and many people, the Bible says, people, a lot of people hear the word, but they never do anything with it. They hear the word and they don't do anything. That's where Jesus talks about the contractor who builds the house on sand and the house on the rock, and the rains came down and the floods come up. That's all about someone who hears the word and doesn't do anything with it. That's someone who has a sandy foundation. But if you hear his words and you open the door, I will come in. And that's a little scary proposition. I'll come in. And sometimes we have grown up thinking that if Jesus is going to come in, he's going, you better batten down the hatches. You better real quick clear the history on the Netflix channel. You better quickly get all your closets cleaned out because he's coming in and he's going to clean house baby and he's coming in he's gonna say "Mm, I can't believe you've got that in your fridge and he's gonna say all these things and do all this stuff and look through all your junk and get all into the dirty junk drawers of your life and say how could you and cross his arms and pat his foot and say boy you need to get this thing cleaned up I cannot I can't sit in this place that's not Jesus he doesn't come into your house to guilt trip you to death to shame you. He, he, he took all the shame on the cross. In fact, the Bible says, 
I'll come in and we'll eat together. I love that. Since the very beginning, God is wanting to show us his might and also his meekness, his strength, and yet his, his steadiness, his righteousness, but also his relational attributes. He doesn't want to just be God of the cosmos. He wants to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a father, a guide, a counselor, a prince of peace. That's the kind of God that Christmas is all about. So the next time you break bread with friends and you look around the table and you're thankful, just know that there's someone even greater and wiser and more powerful and he's just as real and he's eternal and he's not mad at you. He wants to have lunch with you. But you invite him. Ms. Janet mentioned the annual Christmas survey. And this is our opportunity to take the survey. And the survey has to do with this very question. Will you make room in your heart for Jesus? And there are four answers to this question. And we're all part of this in one way or another, four different ways. And there is a A, B, C, and a D, and maybe you're taking that digitally because you've scanned the QR code or right there on your Connect card, you turn it over and you've got A, B, C, and D and analog, you'll just check mark that. But everybody, including myself, including my family, are going to take the survey together right now. Here we go. Get it ready online in Nacogdoches and right here in Lufkin. Here are A, B, C, or D. You would check mark D tonight. D, if you'd say, hmm. As far as making room, no thanks. That's just not, I've got my own theories about God. I'm not really interested in making that kind of decision. I was invited by a friend to be here. I'm here, but this is not for me. And I want you to know, I'm glad you're here. Um, I'd, I'd love to, to meet you. As a matter of fact, I just want you to know that when we receive these cards, when you drop them in the generosity boxes, um, we have a prayer over you. And it's not a prayer like, get them, God, <laughs> they're a D, you know. It's, it's really this, it's, hey God, if you are who you say you are, um, this next year or the next 12 months, would you simply show yourself to this person in a way that makes them possibly take a next step in investigating you? That's our unintimidating prayer over you if that's where you stand today. But be honest with God and be honest with yourself and check D. You would check C if today you're saying, you know, this is a big deal and I, I don't want to just go into this lightly and I totally agree. You'd say, I'm still considering it. And I want you to know we designed Timber Creek Church for people like you that are investigating the claims of Christ and you're, 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 you're wrestling. This is a safe place where anyone can come and find and follow Jesus. It's okay not to be okay at Timber Creek Church. And we invite you to not just let this be a Christmas service one and done, but in the new year, we wanna help you with small habits that make big differences and help you consider this together in community. Now, the next one would be for those of you that you know, you know, ever since you walked in tonight, you know something's not quite been right in your life. And I believe every single one of us are born with a, a 
just a Jesus size hole in our heart a door that only he knocks on the world wants to knock on it all day long and we get overcrowded with stuff but it's meant for him and maybe you're here and it's time to make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time or, or, or maybe a fresh time if that's you you would check mark B and you'd say hey Jesus I I do believe you are who you say you are and I want to start or restart a relationship with you and at Timber Creek we're just here to be tour guides we want to help you take next steps We'd love to help you with whatever question or whatever prayer you might have. But if that's you, it's time to step over and make that decision and check Mark B today. And we want to celebrate that. Finally, you would check A if tonight you're saying, I'm already following Jesus. And I would encourage you, don't get familiar. Don't be so familiar that you, get, you let things get invisible in your life with the story of Jesus in your life. I'm inviting you to refresh your surrender to him. This wouldn't just be a Christmas thing, but this would be an opportunity for you just to kind of reinvest into the conduct, convictions, and character of Christ. That 2022 would be a year of iron sharpening in your life like never before. That you'd engage the Word of God, not to get through the Bible, but let the Bible get through you in 2022. <laughs> I like the ring of that. Let the Bible get through you in 22. Can I pray with you? Would you close your eyes? You've checked the box. You've clicked the link. And now if you're here, I just want to pray over you. And God, for those that have made a decision to want to follow you, thank you, Jesus, that you're not mad at us. Thank you that you died on the cross to pay for our sin, the sin that I cannot pay for with all the good works I could ever muster, all the good stuff, all the church going, all the, all, all, all the tithe paying, all the stuff doesn't add up to you paying it all. The debt that we owed, you paid on the cross. Thank you. And now we lean into that and we surrender to you. Thank you for not being mad at us, but for giving this moment to make things right with you and help us. Thank you that we're not alone, that you can be God with us even right now in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our junk. And you set us free in the middle of it all. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what you do best, reaching people. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everybody said amen. Hey, would you put your hands together for those that made a decision tonight to follow Jesus? Uh, that's a really cool decision. Bible says the atmosphere of heaven changes when someone makes that kind of decision. So congratulations on changing the atmosphere of heaven. We're going to light candles in just a moment. I want you to know that the same way that God starts you over, God was starting over, so to speak, with the human race when he still had more than just sacrifices at the temple. A baby was coming to earth. The story continues, God becoming man. As it turned out that very night, there were shepherds living out in the fields, watching over their sheep, unaware that just a few miles away in the overcrowded town of Bethlehem, something extraordinary had taken place. As they were settling in for the night, suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were, well, they were terrified. 
The angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. The good news your people have been waiting on since the days of Abraham. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah. But don't go in search of a king. Look for a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph. And sure enough, a baby who was in fact lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child and all who heard it, everyone who heard it. They were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, amazed and hopeful. They were hopeful because God was once again on the move. He had not forgotten his promise. God had become flesh and had moved in with the rebel race he came to save.